Welcome to Crop Watch Podcast, a production of Nebraska Extension. Welcome back to the Nebraska Crop Watch Podcast. I'm your host, Nate Dorsey. I'm a water and cropping systems educator for Dodge and Washington counties in eastern Nebraska. And today, this is episode 54. We're going to be talking about fire and specifically fire that happens in our cornfields before harvest or during harvest, which is a really unfortunate situation. But before we get into our podcast episode for today and before we introduce our guest, we want to go through a few different events that are coming up. The first of these is that we have some confronting cropping challenges events. This is a pretty unique event where we can actually offer some of our pesticide safety education programs a little bit early. So we start the, these here uh, end of November, going through December, and then we can talk about some topics for recertifying for your private pesticide applicator's license for this next year, if you're up for that. But also it's a great event for anyone to attend if you just want to get a refresher on some of these topics. So the first of these events is going to be November 29th in Lyons, Nebraska. We actually have a series of five of these. So the next one will be December 6th in Bloomfield, then December 8th in Ord, December 13th in Madison, and December 14th in David City. Each of these events will run from 1 o'clock to 4 o'clock p.m. at each of those locations. It's the same material presented at, at each one. If you're in the area of any one of these events, we encourage you to attend and we would love to have you there. Um, we do have a pre-registration up, so we would ask that you visit that and, and pre-register if, if you're going to attend. That would be really helpful for us. The next event that I'll mention is that on December 15th, we have a Soybean Day and Machinery Expo. This is happening in Saunders County, so this will be at the Saunders County Fairgrounds just outside of Wahoo. This will go from 8.30 to 2.15. So this is another great event. If you're uh, interested in learning more about soybean production and equipment, there will be a number of vendors there, but also several different presenters from the University of Nebraska that will be presenting some information on the latest information related to soybean production. So with that, we have a great episode today, uh, one that's really relevant. We had a very dry season this year, and so fires were a problem at planting time, but also at harvest, just because of how dry it was. And we had a particular situation in northeast Nebraska, and so we have invited Mitiku Mamo, who is an extension educator, to join us today, who worked with a, a situation in some of his counties. So I'll let Mitiku introduce himself and what counties he covers, and then give some background on the situation that he encountered this fall. Yeah, as Ned said, uh, my name is Mitiku Mamo. I am a water and crop extension educator. I am based at the Dixon County Extension Office, which is located at the Haskell Ag Lab uh, in Concord, Nebraska. In addition to Dixon County, I serve Cedar, Knox, and Wayne counties. Great. So thanks, Mitiku. In eastern Nebraska, we don't normally have this this level of dryness. I mean, this is more common probably in western Nebraska, but this season in particular it was so dry, and we had some very uh, windy conditions this fall as well. And whenever you have equipment running in fields and dry conditions and wind, it's really a bad combination when it comes to fires. So can you give a little background in terms of what happened in some of the counties that you covered? Well, uh, actually on the day of the fire, uh, myself and two people from uh, the main campus, we were soil sampling in the research plot. Because it was such a windy day and you know the smoke was dark, we actually thought I have seen that before. I thought that was a, you know, a dust storm, but it just, you know, persisted. So we decided that was a fire. And then one thing I know for sure is that fire was not caused by farm machinery. 
I have called you know, entities I thought would know how the fire started or, or what started it. Uh, the response I got is that they're still investigating and don't have an idea. You know, they haven't reached a conclusion on what started the fire. So that's where we are. But it was not started with the fire machinery. It was not. Yeah, and there's lots of different things that can start fires. I mean, even just discarded glass can have a magnifying effect from the sunlight and can and can, can generate enough heat to cause a fire. So, yeah, I mean, you know, if you have if you have burned fire in a pit and if you haven't, you know, extinguished it, or if you are not sure the fire was completely out on such a windy day, you know, the ice can blow out and uh, start any fire. So. Anything to do with fire, you have to make sure that it's out before you leave the place. So in this particular situation, you notice some smoke off in the distance. Did you get a call from the grower or did you go out to the field yourself and, and investigate? No, I didn't get a call from the grower, but at the end of the day, on my way home, I, you know, I saw those fields that were burned and First, I searched using, you know, uh, assessors GIS to see who owned those plots. As it happens, uh, one of those fields were owned by uh, an individual I worked with before, and I contacted him. I initiated the contact. So when you visited the field, can you describe what the field looked like and how many acres were affected? I saw some pictures, and it was pretty dramatic, just looking at the pictures. But but for those who are listening, can you describe what this looked like? Oh, basically, it's a skeleton of, you know, corn standing. I mean, the corn ears are there, but uh, the leaves are completely gone. You know, the stalk is standing with the ears on it. And when when you take that picture, it shows you that the fire was very fast moving because it was such a windy day. The fire didn't have time to stay around and scorch the crop. So it just burned off the husk and the leaves and left the corn ears on the stalk. That's the picture you saw. And I think uh, the estimate I got from, uh, you know, people who know about it is about a thousand acre. And of that thousand acre, about 400 was a standing corn. Yeah. I mean, our heart really goes out to any farmers who are affected by these types of disasters. It's it's scary and it can have a big effect. And so for the pictures that we're talking about, we will, in the show notes of this episode, have a link to an article that we put together that does have some of the pictures that, that Mitiku is talking about. So you can take a look at what that looks like. But it, it really is uh, pretty interesting to see a field of corn with no leaves, just the stalk and, and some of the ears hanging down. You know, in this case, it was a pretty fast moving fire. And so the, the damage to the corn itself was probably minimized a little bit. But really, yes. there is a question when this happens, what can you do? <laughs> so is that something that you harvest normally? If if you're not, if the co-op's not going to take it, then what what are your other options in terms of, you know, crop insurance or grazing? So this these are some of the questions that, that I think many growers have that are affected by fire and that we had ourselves here at, at, at Nebraska Extension in terms of what do we recommend as a, a best practice and, or next steps. And so can you walk us through some of the different options that we might have for fields that are affected by something like this? 
Yeah, in this case, I was only able to interact with one of the producers affected by the fire, even though there are a few, you know, uh, producers that are affected. Uh, this particular producer was able to find a feedlot who would take his corn to blend with other grain and use it as a feed. And because the fire was fast moving, you know, the damage to the kernel was not severe. And also, you know, research by our state university indicates that if the grain is not completely destroyed by the fire, it can be salvaged and used uh, in a cattle feed. Uh, that's the recommendation. In our case, you know, as I've said, now the producer has decided neither to graze. This is related to, in addition to corn standing, we also have some downed corn. The downed corn is mostly on the edges of these fields. And that could have been either from the wind when the stock is weakened by the fire or, you know, human activity uh, to control the fire. So we have quite a bit of uh, corn ears on the ground on the edges of these fields. So in, in this case, the producer have decided neither to graze nor disc the corn. In general, if you don't do anything about it, and if the corn ears are viable, you know, if they are holding viable seeds, basically that's going to become a volunteer corn and become a weed next year. So generally, it's advised that you either graze these fields or organize a school group and pick the ears this farmer decided not to to do either. Right. So when it comes to grazing, I think a really common concern anytime that we're grazing corn that's damaged by anything, whether that's drought or fire or anything else, is safety for the cattle. So when it comes to, to this particular management practice that, that this grower opted to do, is there any recommended testing or things that we can do to protect cattle health? Yes, now the most important test done uh, on a burned corn uh, is basically testing its feed value. And the same Iowa State University study that I mentioned states that near-infrared analysis to estimate crude protein and the starch content and then also its subsequent energy concentration of the grain. That's what they, they recommend. However, they also caution that a near-infrared analysis will not provide accurate estimates of the energy availability from burned corn. So they, they actually recommend people using, just looking at the color of the burned corn and make, you know, a crude assessment or crude indicator, use it as a crude indicator of a relative energy availability for cattle. That's what uh, this paper indicates. Yeah, and I like that earlier you mentioned that this particular grower or the or the feedlot that purchased the corn was going to be blending it. I think that's probably a really good idea. Anytime that we have something going on that's unusual, high nitrates in what we're harvesting from the field, a lot of it still can be used. It just needs to be blended appropriately with something else that's that has better quality so we can protect that the animal health. So in terms of the field itself going forward, 
you know, there are some concerns around fire affected fields in terms of what happens to the, to the soil and nutrients and things like erosion. So are there particular concerns in this field or other fields that might be affected by fires in terms of these areas? And how would you go about treating some of that? Yeah, I mean, you know, whenever there is fire, fire completely consumes any plant material on the surface of the soil. So any erosion effect, you know, the fire might cause is related to that removal of vegetation. So in this particular case, the farmer has gone ahead and drilled cereal rye as a cover crop. And of course, it was done a little bit late. So we may not have grows now, but it will have an early start, you know, for spring to cover the soil and protect uh, basically the soil from both wind and uh, water erosion. So that's the main thing. And the other thing is also when fires are severe and slow moving, you know, the combustion of this vegetation material produces gas due to volatilization. And, and most of that volatilized will be lost to the atmosphere, but how in, in form of smoke. However, some will go down into the soil profile uh, by convection. And then when the soil cools down, this gas starts to condense on that cool soil particle, forming a waxy coating. That waxy coating makes the soil hydrophobic. Basically, what that means is the soil is not absorbing water. So if we have rain, that rain water is not going to infiltrate into the ground. It stays on the surface puddling if the soil is level. Otherwise, it will be available for runoff, causing soil erosion. So that's another concern that we have. As I have said, in this case, because the fire was fast moving, uh, we may not that kind of uh, problem is what I'm hoping for. Yeah, hydrophobic soils are very interesting, and that's one that I've encountered, not not in an agricultural field, though. I've, I've seen them in areas that have been affected by forest fires. In those types of areas, that can be a pretty serious problem when, when it rains. It, it, it's interesting to see how the water will just beat up and not be absorbed into the soil at all. And, in, and obviously, in an agricultural setting, that's, that's not good. We need water for our crops to grow, so that would be really interesting to, to follow that and see if that's something that happens in, in these types of situations. Yeah, we were going to do some infiltration tests, but we never had the time. And then, of course, the ground started freezing. <laughs> so hopefully that's something we will try to do first thing next spring and see if there is any difference in infiltration between those, uh, the burned field and uh, unburned field. Yeah, absolutely. When it comes to nutrients, I think that's probably our last question that would be a really common one in these types of situations when there is a fire in a field, does that have any effect on soil nutrients, whether that's availability or forms, amounts? Is that something that can happen? Yeah, yeah. Fire burn away the vegetation and organic matter on the soil surface. Uh, basically, that makes some nutrients readily available because the mineralization process will be fast and under normal conditions, it takes time for 
those organic matters to mineralize and become available as a, a nutrient. However, now in the long run, fire reduces the total nutrient pool because some of that nutrient is lost to the atmosphere uh, due to volatilization, as ash transport, leaching, and in some cases, as we mentioned earlier, soil erosion. So those will reduce the overall uh, nutrient pool. Effect of fire, you know, on soil nutrients depends on, again, the intensity and duration of the fire itself. So some nutrients such as nitrogen and sulfur have low temperature threshold. So even under, you know, lower temperature, they can volatilize and, and, and be lost, whereas other nutrients are more stable, especially the micronutrients are more stable and, you know, you don't see that might change. So there is also an increase in pH. Obviously pH, you know, plays a role in nutrients being available or unavailable. So we did actually send some soil samples for analysis. That's what uh, the soil analysis also showed. The burned area showed higher pH compared to the unburned area. So those are the changes in terms of nutrients. So people have to do their, their toil, soil test, you know, spring camp next year to make sure that they have the, the correct nutrient management for their. Yeah, that, those are good points. And ones that I, I didn't necessarily think about, you know, when you think about fires, especially in the Midwest and some of the areas where really grasslands are native, fire is a natural process and it returns a lot of nutrients back to the soil. But there is a reason why Nebraska Extension typically, typically recommends uh, not harvesting or bailing up uh, crop residue and, and shipping that away because it does remove nutrients that would then decompose and be available for crops later on. Or at least if you do that, to make sure that you're replacing those nutrients uh, with fertilizers later on. So th that's a great point. Going into this winter, we're in a bit of a moisture deficit. It's uh, We've had a pretty dry fall so far as well. If we don't get some moisture this winter and then going into the spring, we're likely to start next season off pretty dry as well. And these fires aren't just limited to harvest. They can happen in the spring as well when we have a lot of residue in the fields, especially if we have dry, windy conditions, which can be really common in the spring. Whenever the seasons change, it seems like Nebraska is really windy. So going into the next season, what advice do you have to help prevent fires in fields, whether that's at planting or later on towards harvest? So basically, most fires in crop fields, you know, happen during operation of agricultural machinery, such as combined harvesters and balers. I have seen fire in both cases uh, on hot, dry and, you know, windy days. So weather and the state of the machinery we use determine, you know, fire. So the best solution to prevent fire is to try to basically avoid them. So quitting you know, whatever you're doing, when conditions get too extreme is a very important precaution that one has to take. And then also in extreme dry conditions, if you're combining and fire persists, probably try a nighttime harvesting when humidity probably is relatively higher. And then also when you are having any farm operation, having water tanks, on a truck equipped with a pump nearby could be a good thing to have. 
also checking equipment for worn bearings, trade belts, and other areas that could overheat, wires that are damaged, uh, their insulation removed, uh, as well as fuses, just to make sure that they are you know, in their working condition. And also, when you operate your machine, maybe don't overload them. Uh, the other thing is maybe where chaffs or any plant material acc accumulates or build up, you may probably need to clean it thoroughly before harvesting and at the end of any operation you do, maybe having a, a leaf blower nearby would be helpful to just blow plant material. It's also good practice to keep fire ex extinguisher in the cab as well as probably outside in case it's needed by others outside the machine itself. So it's important to make sure that these extinguishers are also, you know, in a working order. So you have to check them regularly so that these are really uh, things that one has to take into account when they work on extreme conditions. Yeah, that's all great advice, Mitaku. I think that one, we want to protect uh, human life and property. That's a, a pretty serious thing that, that could be your own, but that could also be your neighbors. If, you know, fire gets out of control, that things can move very quickly, but also protecting your crop and your investment. Those would all be great practices to help prevent, but then also to extinguish something that, that might happen. If someone wants to learn more, what are some places that they can go to learn more about this particular topic and who can they contact if they have some more questions? Well, you know, this Iowa State uh, study is the title is titled The Fitting Value of Heat Damage Corn, Grain, and Cattle Diets. It's an Iowa State University industry report from 2011. And also we have a, a frequently asked question for fire damages to unharvested crops and harvested grounds. It's a, a crop washed article from October 28th of the, the UNL. And then I think, I don't know exactly when it was released. There is an article on a combined fire Again, a crop watch article from either September or October of this year. So those are, I think, places people can go to learn more about uh, fire damages and what to do about them. Yeah, great. Thanks. And we'll put links to all those articles that Mitiku just mentioned in the show notes of this episode. So if you're interested in looking at that Iowa State study, but also some of the crop watch articles that we've published this fall, you can access those directly from the show and check those out in uh one of the, the frequently asked questions article is also the article that has a few pictures from a field that was affected by fire this harvest season. So thanks so much for being on the podcast today, Mediku. Really enjoyed learning from you and also hearing about this experience and hopefully finding some ways that we can help avoid this in the future. Thank you. Thank you.